This week, we're going to start with a little bit of church history, which I'm sure is exactly what you all were hoping I was about to say. Don't worry, we're not going to get too crazy here. More specifically, we're going to look at the 20th century American Protestant church. And I should say also that what I'm going to say is more true in largely white churches and denominations than in the African American church traditions. But starting in the late 19th century and kind of accelerating into the 20th, there was a split that started to grow between what are sometimes called the modernists and the fundamentalists. And there's more complexity to this split than we're going to get into right now. But at the root of it was a disagreement about what the church was supposed to be in the midst of a more and more rapidly changing world. With the modernists saying, we need to be responding to the world around us, flexing and adjusting our message in the midst of of all these changes. And the fundamentalists saying, no, 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 we need to hold fast to the truth, capital T, and be unyieldingly faithful to the fundamentals of our faith, which is where fundamentalist comes from, in opposition to this world that is changing all around us. And one way this played out is that the modernists tended to be what I'm going to call do-justice liberals, and the fundamentalists tended to be what I'm going to call holiness conservatives. And I should note that by holy here, I mean both doing good stuff, doing the right things, but also being separate or set apart from those who do not do the right things, kind of keeping a safe distance from those people. And you can probably hear in these descriptions how they're both prone to some really unhelpful exaggerations and extremes, but they also could both point to the Bible for support of their particular flavor of following Jesus. The do-justice liberals could point to Micah, where it says, "'What does Yahweh require of you but to do justice and to love kindness?' and to walk humbly with your God. The holiness conservatives could point to Leviticus, though, and say, well, Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. And then the next chapter of Leviticus, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am Yahweh your God. Keep my laws and observe them. I am Yahweh, I sanctify you. And a few chapters before that, sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy, etc. You get the idea. Leviticus really likes holiness. The do-justice liberals could point to the first public words Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Luke 4, where he reads from the scroll of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But the holiness conservatives could say, ah, yes, but when Jesus was ending his ministry, one of the last things he said to his disciples was in John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. A few verses down, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. And what happened was that the holiness conservatives tended to build churches dedicated to helping one another be holy and maybe inviting others to come join from time to time, but always on our terms, kind of looking disapprovingly out at this world around us. On the other hand, the do-justice liberals tended to build churches that were dedicated to righting the wrongs of society without worrying too much about the details of what exactly people believed We're in a series where each week we have been holding up two things that the Bible tells us should be true of followers of Jesus. Things that might seem opposed to one another, but actually aren't. 
So engagement and rest, for example, relationship and solitude, those sorts of things. And you can probably see where I'm going today. The Bible tells us to be holy, just like the conservative said. And the Bible tells us to do justice, just like the liberals said. But here's the thing, and where both sides tended to go wrong over the course of the 20th century and now the 21st, these two things actually depend on one another in order to be anything like what the Bible actually means by be holy and do justice. First, it matters that we do justice. A couple weeks ago, when we were talking about engagement and rest, I said that God's dream for the world is that all of creation would flourish, that we would be God's partners in bringing life universally. And one of the most heartbreaking ways that sin affects that dream that God has for the world is that in turning away from God, by which I mean turning away from partnering with God in God's dream for creation, we turn within to our own natural inclinations and dreams. And those don't always line up with God's inclinations and God's dreams. And that can have two effects. First, it prevents us from engaging with the sacrificial work of helping all things flourish. Because if the example of Jesus tells us anything, it's that sacrifice is an unavoidable part of partnering with God. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that we start doing bad things, but partnering with God is a whole lot more than just not doing bad stuff. And sometimes it does result in us actually going the other way and and increasing and participating in oppression and exploitation for the benefit of myself or people like me. There's more examples of this than I can possibly mention, of course, from the enslavement of fellow humans to the abuse of the vulnerable for my own pleasure to the exploitation of workers in the pursuit of profit to the exploitation of creation through unsustainable and destructive agricultural practices to our own endorsement of those practices because, let's face it, they create cheaper products for us to buy. And this, in fact, is why it matters that we be holy. Like I said earlier, holy doesn't just mean doing the right thing. It means set apart, different from the norm that culture assumes. All these examples of oppression, they are, they were, things that our culture just kind of assumes. The logic of our culture says, in effect, well, sure, this particular thing, it isn't great, but eh, what are you going to do? Holiness, though, is what gives us the healthy distance from our culture to be able to critically look at the things that are wrong and see them as wrong. This is why we look to scripture for our cues, because if we let it, it prevents us from just going with the flow of our culture, unthinking. It presents a different logic for us to live by, a different way of being human, really a way of being truly human, being who we were made to be. And the thing is, the logic of our culture can even creep into the justice work that we're trying to do. I was talking to a friend of ours whose son is in Riley's class, and her background is in working in the prevention and response to sexual and domestic violence. And she's doing a project right now for a center in another part of the country that wants to revamp their training of new volunteers. So she's working on redesigning a class that looks at the history of this movement, of the the sexual and domestic violence response movement. And when I was talking to her, she was feeling so mad because the movement to call attention to and respond to this serious justice issue had systematically and intentionally 
thrown women of color under the bus in order to secure better rights for white women. And as she was talking about it, she was describing how through some combination of outright racism and political pragmatism, the white women in the movement realized, oh, we can protect women like us and our communities if we just exclude women like them and their communities from the legislation and funding that we're trying to get. In effect, this will be more likely to get enough votes to pass if we throw them off the train. And the class our friend was revamping had been telling the history of this movement through that same frame, raising up these white women as heroes and ignoring the contributions of the women of color, who had actually been some of the first prominent voices on the need for a response to this crisis in the first place because black women in the years after slavery were calling attention to the sexual violence that had been and was continuing to be visited upon them by white men. But their stories and their protection had been cut out of the movement because the logic of the culture said, eh, what are you going to do? Do we want this to pass or not? Again, scripture, when we let it, prevents us from falling into the logic of our culture that can even get in the way of our attempts at working for justice. Because what the Bible has to say about justice does not line up neatly with the assumptions we are surrounded by about what matters and what doesn't, or who matters and who doesn't. And what the Bible has to say about justice doesn't neatly line up with the political coalitions that exist today. The Bible calls us to live by a different logic, a separate logic, a holy logic, while still engaging with the world in the work of doing justice. We need holiness in order to continue engaging in the work of justice for the long haul. And engaging in justice is the whole reason for our holiness in the first place. God tells Abraham that God is going to make Abraham's family into God's special people. They are going to be set apart, holy. Why? Genesis 12, 2 tells us, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We, Abraham's descendants, are holy so that the blessing of God can flow out from us and into the whole of creation. Not so we can be an example for others, not so that we can get into heaven when we die, but so that justice would reach every corner of the universe. Holiness and doing justice, they are sometimes in tension, but at the same time, they're linked, inseparable. We are holy in order to do justice. We do justice because we are holy. And I think this is a big part of why both sides of this split between the do justice liberals and the holiness conservatives, those churches have started to lose steam in recent years. In fact, the holiness conservatives spent most of the last 50 years or so kind of smugly shaking their heads as the do justice liberal churches declined in attendance, kind of saying, you know, we are doing it right. That's why people are coming to our churches. Their heads have stopped shaking so much over the past decade or so as their churches have also started to decline in attendance. They may have held on longer, but I think the lack of the two, doing justice and holiness, together in tension, I think it's taken its toll on both sides of this split. But there's also another reason that I think these churches are in decline. Because in one sense, this split 
has only grown wider and wider. And we can kind of see the fruit of that today in the types of churches that are around us. But I think in another sense, both sides kind of strangely have collapsed into the same message. The point of this all, they both say, is that you, individual person, need to be a good person. They just have very different definitions of what exactly makes one a good person. But the solution here is not to just have a more nuanced view of how I can be a good person, one that includes both definitions of do justice and be holy. Because here's what happens when the goal of it all is being a good person. It becomes less and less obvious why I need you. I can support the right causes and buy the right fish and like the right social media posts to be a good do-justice liberal all by myself. I don't need you. And I can pray the right prayers and believe the right things and, let's face it, like the right social media posts to be a good holiness conservative all by myself. I don't need you. In fact, you sometimes get in the way of me being a good person, (laughs) or at least you make it a lot more complicated. And I don't need complicated. I want to be a good person. See, simple. So it's more like this week that we have three things that the Bible tells us we need to be followers of Jesus. Three things that are all in tension, but are all interconnected too. The Bible tells us to do justice. The Bible tells us to be holy. The Bible also tells us to do those things within a community of faith. But why? Well, we've talked about the importance of relationship before in this series, how it's a reflection of God's character as Trinity, three persons in one. But I want to highlight it again here because we all, I think it's safe to say, are steeped in a culture of individualism. And the logic of our culture when we hear a message like this one is to start to think about the individual practices by which I can do justice or be holy. But we're missing something when we do that, when we go straight to the individual practices. And I want to spend the rest of our time here today briefly naming some of the practices that support this call to holiness, that support this call to do justice, but that can only really be done within a community of faith. One we've mentioned already, and that's engaging seriously with the Bible. The Bible challenges the logic of our culture. It challenges the life we are living to align more and more with God's dreams for ourselves and for the world. Scripture names the ways that we are unthinkingly aligning with the world around us instead of with God. It tells us what justice looks like. Now, can we do this alone, read Scripture and be challenged by it? Sure, in theory, But when we do it alone, it makes it so much more likely that we will gloss over or miss the really challenging parts. It's when a community of faith makes engaging with scripture together a regular practice that new insights and ideas can get brought up, that a true realignment of ourselves with God's self can take place. So that's why the first practice is to engage in scripture together as a community, listening for the challenge that it might present to us in our lives. And this shifts quite uh, easily into the next practice, which is naming injustice. One example that springs to mind for me is that the AIDS crisis was not even on my radar until my community of faith started calling attention to it, until people around me in that community started saying, hey, this is the issue that's been commanding my attention lately. I, I wonder what we can do about this together. You may have examples like that where somebody else in your community highlighted it, brought it to your attention in a way that it just hadn't been before. 
when our community names injustice, we are exposed to so many different types of challenges that the world has around us. And this is one reason diversity is a value that we want to increasingly live into as Pomona Valley Church. Because a true diversity of experiences from race to gender to socioeconomics to sexual orientation means that a community will have voices that can name the injustices they see from their perspective that I might not see from mine. We need to be a community that names injustice, and then we need to listen to one another as we do so. Because in doing that, we allow God's Spirit to invite us to do justice in new ways. One other practice on the holiness side of things that we wanted to highlight is confession. Now, this practice can be twisted. It can be manipulated. Some of us have experienced it being more hurtful than helpful, but it can also be really healthy. Confession has been a Christian practice for a very long time because there's something powerful about naming the ways we fall short out loud in the midst of a supportive and grace-filled community, one that will simultaneously love us and call us back to ourselves, to who we want to be, to who God has made us to be. And then last is another practice that applies both to doing justice and being holy, and that's the practice of sharing stories. We can tell stories of injustice, of working for justice, of what God is teaching us, of how scripture is challenging us, of of what we need to confess. Those stories can encourage one another and challenge one another, They can call us to better following Jesus. They can inspire us to start following Jesus if we aren't. And that is actually the practice that we ended our time with on Sunday. We shared some stories about our own journey of faith and how we had engaged with uh, both the call to be holy and the call to do justice. And it is a practice that is important to our community and will continue to be so because of the great and unique good that can come out of a community of faith sharing stories together. The Bible calls us to be holy, the Bible calls us to do justice, and the Bible calls us to do it within a community of faith. And we will talk a little bit more about some of these practices that can be done in the community of faith in the podcast that will be coming later on this week.